Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, and yes, indeed, we are at episode 150. Trust me, I don't know if you out there can believe it, or if you really honestly care too much, but I can't believe it. It's uh, It's been a long journey, but here we are. 150 is a big number. Will we get to 200? I don't know. I don't know if we, if I realistically expected us to get to 150, um, but you know we'll save the t- the chat about that till later. Um, hope you all are enjoying your week. Hope you all are excited for Thanksgiving. Assuming you're in America, if you're elsewhere, American Thanksgiving is coming up, which means you're going to get a triple header on Thursday. So hope you're excited for that. Um, got a lot to be thankful for, as per usual. Uh, especially you all out there that, well, provide me with the opportunity to keep doing this show. So we're going to jump straight in. It was an action-packed NFL Week 11, excuse me, Week 10. Action-packed Week 10. I'm ahead of myself. I'm expecting a good Week 11, but uh, can't count your chickens before they hatch. So let's jump right into my standout seven. Let's get started right away with number one, bigger story. The Colts bringing home a win, as I forecasted, I'm very proud of, in the Jeff Saturday debut, or the Green Bay Packers defeating the Dallas Cowboys. So why did I group these together? And I don't know if you ever wonder, I usually try to explain it. This is two teams that should be contenders, if we're looking on paper, teams that many people, present company included, thought would be contenders but alas, are sitting in a spot in terms of the standings and their record that they're not exactly happy with, they're underachieving. So, let's get started with the Indianapolis Colts. They go on the road with a first-time head coach in his first game, first time on a professional setting, that is. I heard he was a darn solid high school football coach for about a year, but uh, the first thing Jeff Saturday does is he brings back Matt Ryan. And look, I'm far from an insider, I'm far from a football guru, but we talked about this a few weeks ago. If you didn't, you can go back through the episodes and listen to the one where I discussed Matt Ryan's benching and how the Indianapolis Colts, particularly Frank Reich, I assume, as he was the one that made the announcement, completely botched that. Because Ryan was injured, that was the report, and they were going with Ellinger. Okay, completely fine. But then it was also announced that Ellinger was going to finish the season, which anchored that team to the play of a first-time NFL starter when they're supposed to be a playoff contending team. Not exactly the brightest decision. Perhaps, and there have been some reports that this may have played a role, perhaps part of the reason they moved on from Frank Reich is because they wanted to go back to Matt Ryan, but the avenue to do so seemed closed due to, you know, as I said, being overzealous in endorsing Ellinger. You didn't have to do that. You could have at least let some semblance of a controversy play out before you endorsed the kid. But uh, here we are. He comes back in. He played all right, 21-28, 2-22, a touchdown, no interceptions, and the longest run he's probably had in well over a decade. Uh, more importantly, Jonathan Taylor looked great. 22 carries, a buck 47, and a touchdown. Paris Campbell made a big play. Michael Pittman looked all right, seven catches for 53. This Colts team is still not 
what I thought they'd be at the beginning of the season. I'm sure they're not where they thought they'd be at the beginning of the season, but this is a closer approximation of who they should be. And this team has popped up now and again. Mind you, they've already played the Titans twice, so there's no kick coming there. But at the same time, you don't have to face them again. You know what I mean? The Raiders, on the other hand, the season's over, right? At 3-6, and six, the season probably would have been over. But at 2-7, and seven, the Raiders' season is over. And I was debating if we wanted to make a whole topic about the post-game press conference of Derek Carr, in which uh, it seemed relatively clear that Carr was pretty emotional about how this season has gone, uh, insinuating, you know, it's not clear to the outside world what some of these players are going through to get out there on the field. I'm assuming he's talking about, you know, uh, pain management in regards to playing through injuries and things like that. But at the end of the day, this team is underachieving. And I can appreciate that Derek Carr is disappointed, and I can appreciate that he's emotional about the way the season is playing through. And if I were a Raider fan, and let me know what you think, Raider fan, in the comments, if where you're listening has a comment section, or on social media, all social media as per usual, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. If I were a Raider fan, I would be appreciative that my franchise quarterback is, uh, you know, not just walking it off. You know what I mean? It's been a hard year, I imagine, for him, among others. But, realistically, that's, I mean, you just got to be better. You bring in Devontae Adams to be a star number one. You've got Josh Jacobs, who's a good back. If memory serves, they did not pick up his option for next year, so who knows what they're going to do with the running back position. Darren Waller, there was reportedly an opportunity to move him. I tend to think you wouldn't want to do that, but he's aging, right? And this year, he's had injury issues, so perhaps they should have considered something like that. I don't know. I think that'd be kind of a blow-it-up sort of move. I don't think that would go over so well in the locker room, but... You know what else doesn't go over so well in the locker room? Going 2-7 and seven and losing to a guy who's never coached a football game on an NFL sideline, right? And it, it came off through this game, and who knows, maybe the Colts will lose every game the rest of the year. They play Philly this week. It's going to be a hard game to follow up the momentum from that first one. But it came across that Jeff Saturday, at least on the small scale, is a pretty good leader of men, right? And... The memory that I came away from going into this was the the clip that went viral multiple times of Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday arguing on the sideline, and Jeff Saturday kind of, you know, saying, well, maybe we should do this, or maybe we need to do a little bit more of this, run the ball, yada, 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 and Peyton Manning just telling him, you know, just play center, just do your job, right? Well, it was clear back then that he had some sort of an idea. He's not calling the plays. They made that apparent. They said that from the outset, but his input... The team played well enough, right? So, pretty big win for the Colts in order to stay in the playoff hunt. Packers, on the other hand... This is going to sound weird, right? Because we all know what happened just three days later when the Packers went out there at home and played the Titans, which is something that we all kind of knew was a strong possibility even after this game. But I'm talking about the Cowboys game, so we'll stay there. Packers are sitting at 4-6 and six after the Cowboy game. Now they're at 4-7. and seven. 
The bigger win has to be the Colts, and it's not because their record is better. It's not because they made the move and they needed the momentum and yada, yada, yada. It's because I felt that the Packer win was kind of fluky, right? This was the Packer team that I expected to see at the beginning of the year. They ran the ball 37 times with Jones and Dillon for over 200 yards. They gashed the Dallas Cowboys, one of the best teams in the NFC. They gashed them. And then they go out against the Green Bay Packers, and we'll, don't, excuse me, against the Titans, and we'll talk Titans later. They go out there, and uh, yeah, that was nowhere to be found. 18 carries for 53 yards. And then it falls back on the shoulders of Rodgers with a depleted receiving core. Um, Christian Watson seems to be, I mean, in the last 10 days has become a name, but, uh, excuse me, even the last five days, I should say. But is he going to be that guy? Is he going to blossom into a star receiver? I don't know. I mean, he's certainly providing them with the red zone target they need and the production they need at the receiving position in the short term, but... I don't know if he's going to be the long-term answer there. I, I hope that they, th- I, rather, I think that they hope that this is the jumping-off point and he's going to become a superstar. Maybe he will, but uh, I've seen guys catch a handful of touchdowns in two games and then, you know, that was kind of the highlight of the career. It happens. Either way, um, the reason I'm picking the Colts, like I said, I think the Colts recommitting to who they are and winning a game they should win is bigger than a Packer team. I mean, look, this is not to be that guy to Cowboy fans out there. I've said over and over again, I say it almost every episode, that I'm you know born and bred in New York. But this Cowboy team was up two scores going into the fourth. They should have won this ballgame. They should have handed the ball off to Tony Pollard and just cooked the game away. But they couldn't do that for whatever reason, and that's Dallas Cowboys football in a nutshell pretty talented team, usually are, but for some reason they find ways to lose games they shouldn't lose. Um, Give me the Colts, and let's move on to number two in the standout seven. While we're here, bigger loss by a contender. And see, look, we even started with a win this week. I said, you know, it's a point of emphasis moving forward. We keep starting with losses. We're We're gonna go positive. You know, it's episode 150. That's kind of a milestone. Let's go positive. Bigger loss, number two, uh, in the standout seven. Bigger loss, those Dallas Cowboys that we just discussed, or the Buffalo Bills. Well, we discussed the Cowboy game. Let's get into the Bills. Um, This was an intriguing one. Now, admittedly, I picked Minnesota. I did not expect Josh Allen to play in this game. He threw for 330 yards. He had two picks in this game. This was one of the weirdest endings to a football game That I can remember. If I'm being completely honest. I mean, this game is 24-10 at half. It's looking like, okay, well, all the concerns were wrong. Josh Allen's fine. Oh, look, the Vikings can't win another big game. Blah, blah, blah. But, Kirk Cousins throws an interception at a halftime. And I'm thinking, alright, here it is. Then, in the red zone, up by 10 later... Josh Allen throws an interception. Intriguing. He goes down after the play, blah, blah, blah. It's at one point, 27-23, Minnesota misses the PAT. 
and you're thinking, oh, I've seen enough football games to know that this is going to play a role, right? So then it winds up, what, 30 to 27? And then 30 to 30, we wind up in overtime. But the thing that he, the thing is here, we can't gloss over what made this 30 to 27. Because it was the bizarre sequence of plays. And I know you've probably seen it broken down to a fine powder at this point, but it needs to be mentioned. Given the ball to Kirk Cousins on the fourth and goal, it's not the worst call in the world, right? But in terms of looking through the options you have, especially considering he's not going to do the Drew Brees where he jumps over and just tries to reach for the goal line, he's just going to try and push himself. Not the most fleet of foot, probably not the most uh, horsepower, so to speak, behind that push. Didn't go well. And then, somehow, something that I can honestly say I have never seen happen, happens. And Josh Allen fumbles the ball when all he had to do was fall forward. All he had to do was fall forward. And uh, I'm at a loss for words. I think I can say with a fair amount of certainty, barring a tremendous run of games here, which is possible, right? The Bills sitting at 6-3, and three, I think... It would be very impressive if Josh Allen found a way to sneak back this MVP. After a handful of weeks, it was already on his mantle. After the last couple of games, I mean, his stock has to be plummeting, right? Am I saying it's the worst mistake I've ever seen a quarterback make? No, of course not. Mind you, he's facing Kirk Cousins, a guy who once accidentally kneeled it instead of spiking it against the Eagles when he was on the then-name redacted, right? tremendous, tremendous that these two guys can face off and magic like this happens. Then, of course, Josh Allen does what the Chiefs do, goes down, ties the game, what the Chiefs did to him in the playoffs, I should say, 30-30, uh, to 30, and then the big botch on that last drive, not reviewing the Gabe Davis catch, I thought it was a catch, but it needs to be reviewed. Needs to be reviewed, right? Uh, Allen throws a horrible interception. Obviously, Minnesota goes down to win the game. Now you're in a situation, if you're Buffalo, where you might not win this division. It wasn't the end of the world when you lost to the Jets in New Jersey. Wasn't the end of the world. Wasn't the end of the world when you lost to Miami in Miami. Wasn't the end of the world. Now you're in a pickle. Right? Because now you have the exact same number of losses as the Jets and the Dolphins, and they're one up on you. You've got to go and win when they play you, right? And oh, by the way, the Patriots are nipping at everyone's heels. What's in the water on the East Coast to where all these teams in the NFC and AFC East are streaking all over? Meanwhile, the AFC West, which was supposed to be the class of the league, and I saw Mike Greenberg talking about this, so credit to him, um, supposed to be the class of the league. The The Raiders are awful, right? They were the best 1-4 team I've ever seen, but they're still 2-7. That's life. Meanwhile, then you have the Denver Broncos that are just underachieving. The Chargers, we'll get to later. Um, and you just kind of have Kansas City being as consistent as they always are, right? So the huge loss here would have to be Buffalo. Because I think, realistically, Dallas needed help to catch Philly anyway. Would have been a huge week for Dallas to win, right? 
Big game for McCarthy, back at his old team, stomping grounds, right, to go up to 7-2. and two. Then you tag in the fact the Commanders bring down Philly on Monday night. It could have been a tremendous two days for a Cowboy fan. Unfortunately, meh, right? You lose, they lose. You pick up no ground, they lose no ground. So uh, bigger loss is going to have to be Buffalo because they've put themselves in a bit of a pickle in the AFC. Number three in the standout seven, bigger win. Let's talk two teams that are kind of contenders, not really. They're on the fringe in the National Football Conference. Um, The Arizona Cardinals went to L.A. and beat the Rams in a spectacular fashion in the backup quarterback bowl. There's not too much to talk about here. DeAndre Hopkins still churned out 98 yards. Rondell Moore had a good game. James Conner had a pretty good game. Uh, Colt McCoy, all things considered, played pretty well. Um, John Walford, not so much. Meh. The offense wasn't looking great with Matthew Stafford. What do you want Walford to do? Um, Cup winds up going down in this game. I believe he winds up on IR, so the Rams' season is on IR to be honest, sitting at 3-6 and six in a division that's not exactly easy, um, especially when you're at the back of the pack. It's a good win for the Cardinals. Is it a demonstrative one? Is it a war back? No. But it's a good win, a win they needed if they're going to do anything. The Commanders one is interesting. right? I watched this game start to finish. And I think it's relatively clear that Carson Wentz isn't going to play the rest of the season bearing injury. Barring injury, excuse me. Um, This is Taylor Heineke's team. For whatever reason, Taylor Heineke gets these guys going. And look, you can talk about, you know, Hurts threw an interception that was arguably a catchable ball. The fumble by Quez Watkins. And I think there was another fumble in there as well. Philly was not crisp this whole game. Meanwhile... They were still in it, almost down to the very end. This Philadelphia Eagle team is still tremendous, but this loss opens the door, opens the door, right, to potentially losing the one seed to Minnesota. It opens the door to a stacked division, right? New York Giants nipping at their heels, Dallas Cowboys nipping at their heels. Who knows if the Commanders go on a run? I doubt it. But the Commanders moving to 5-5 five and five is a big one. I would argue the bigger story here would be Washington because their players played, right? A backup QB can't really make a statement for the team unless that backup QB is going to be the guy. Kyler Murray's going to come back in for Arizona. Are they going to go out there and beat, let's say, San Francisco? I'm not so sure about that. They're two games out in their division. It's easier for them to catch up than it is for the Commanders to catch Philly. I'd be more confident in the Arizona Cardinals making the postseason than the Commanders. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give the bigger win to Taylor Heineke taking control in Philadelphia. Number four in the standout seven. Let's talk about those West Coast football teams for a quick second. Bigger disappointment this season. The L.A. Chargers or the L.A. Rams. Um, Sunday Night Football pitted the L.A. Chargers against the Santa Clara, or uh, the San Francisco 49ers, and Justin Herbert threw for a buck 96, 
and I'm fairly certain he entered the fourth quarter with about a buck seventy. And this was a game, mind you, they were winning sixteen to thirteen. Then every time I looked up, San Francisco had the ball in the fourth quarter. The Chargers offense did nothing. And it's hard for me to understand. And I get it, you know. I understand the injuries take a toll. I know they didn't have Keenan Allen. I know they didn't have uh, Mike Williams. But I discussed this last week, and I kind of stand by it. I think I might be out in front of this one. I think Brandon Staley is going to be a sneaky hot seat candidate if they don't make the postseason. And based on how they looked against San Francisco, who knows, maybe they'll get healthier and they'll look even better. I think they may not make the playoffs. Right? It's going to be another season with a pretty talented team. Oh, let's take that next step forward. Stuck in the mud. Stuck in the mud. And that's not to put a knock on San Francisco. They're a darn good team, right? I mean, in this game, Elijah Mitchell was their leading rusher. It wasn't even McCaffrey. McCaffrey ended the game with about 70 all-purpose, 67 yards and a touchdown. Um, Debo Samuel had two catches for 24. The Chargers' defense did what they had to do. They gave up 22. 22 is not a lot. I don't know. Um, Let's get back to the Rams, right? We mentioned they just lost to the Cardinals. I would have to argue the bigger disappointment would have to be the Chargers by default because the Rams are the defending champion, right? You gave your fans a ring. You are entitled to have stumbles here and there. In the aftermath, you're given a little bit of a grace period. Trust me, I saw it in New York with the Giants between the 2007 win over the Patriots and the 2011 win over the Patriots. There was stumbling, so uh, it's not the end of the world. The thing that's more concerning about the Rams is the health of Matthew Stafford. We talked about it coming into the year, the elbow. Oh, it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, Well, Sean McVay, genius offensive mind, and Allen Robinson hasn't really worked his way in there. The production from the tight end position hasn't been tremendous. The running game hasn't been tremendous. The O-line's been hurt. It is what it is. But uh, for a team that really leverages the future for the now, you can't afford to punt on seasons. So weird spot to be in if you're a Ram fan, especially weird spot to be in if you're in the Rams' front office. I mean... You probably have a decent draft pick. The problem is I'm not certain they have that draft pick because I believe they might have given that one up in the deal for it was either Wagner or I mean, they trade them all. What am I saying? I'm almost certain they don't have it. Bigger disappointment's got to be the Chargers. And that's kind of intriguing because the Chargers are still sitting at five and four. They could still make the postseason. They could still make a run. Got to get healthy first, though. Number five in the standout seven. We're zooming through real quick here. Uh, Let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. Because this season, I, coming in, was not high on this Tennessee team really at all. Right? Um, I thought that Tennessee would take a step back this season. There would be a little bit of regression because I thought that they didn't do really much to supplement their passing game. But much to my surprise... In the last handful of weeks here, after the weeks where they didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver, um, the return of Ryan Tannehill has been pretty successful, right? 
I mean, you're talking about a Titans team. They go out there and they win 17-10. It's nothing crazy against the Denver Broncos, but that's a good defense for Denver, right? Good defense. The Tennessee defense made plays when they needed to. I get it. Tannehill was 19 for 36. But when he needed to, he made big throws, right? Huge throw to a Conquo at one point. Big drive by them before halftime to get on the board. They went out there and they impressed me a little bit. I said, okay, we know what Derrick Henry's going to do. Then they go into Green Bay, and I'm in the back of my head. I'm like, yeah, I think Green Bay fluked their way through Dallas, but you never know. You fluke one, and then you go on a run. I mean, Green Bay's done it before. No, 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 no. Not today. Not against this Titans team. 22-27, 3-33 through the air for Tannehill. Big game for Burks, who'd missed time with an injury. Pretty good game for Robert Woods. Derrick Henry doing what he does, 30 combined touches for over, what, a buck 30? A touchdown through the air to Austin Hooper for Henry and a touchdown on the ground. Um, They look good, man. They look darn good. And you know what? I don't know if I'm late or early to this bandwagon. I'm probably late, but realistically, eh, you know, who's keeping track, right? With everything that's happened to the Indianapolis Colts, with everything that's happened to potentially Josh Allen with this injury and in Buffalo, the AFC is open. This could be the year the Tennessee Titans represent the American Football Conference in the Super Bowl. And this is coming from a guy that was debating if they were going to be a wild card team. Right? I'm on board. Fully on board with the Tennessee Titans moving forward. Number six in the standout seven. This is a, you know, just a cheeky little thing I had the thought of. I've mentioned before I'm a UFC fan, so I watched I watched Israel Adesanya lose to Alex Pereira, uh, Pereira, rather, in the title fight Saturday night at UFC 281, and it just gave me the thought, and they've, people have taken to calling it an all-time great hater moment to follow a man who you've beaten in another sport to his sport that he has become the king of in his weight class, and then immediately make it your mission to take away his happiness and his belt. And it was a tremendous fifth-round knockout, comeback victory um, against Adesanya, and it made me think. So, the NFL equivalent of some of these hater moments. And honestly, Jeff Saturday trash-talking the Raiders online... And then, so swiftly, becoming the head coach of the team, about to face that team, and promptly defeating them, is a kind of an all-time hater moment as well. Now, you know, I, I kind of hate, and this is ironic to say, I kind of hate the term hater, right? But if we're going to go with the vernacular, if we're going to play the man's game, it's, it's high-quality hater moment right there. Straight up. It really is to go out there and beat the team that you were just trash-talking on social media. I'm trying to think of other ones, right? Like Brett Favre really wanting to be a Viking after he was exiting the Packers. I think that's a hater moment, right? If he would have been able to get them to the Super Bowl, to the promised land, if not for Bounty Gate and Greg Williams and all that stuff in New Orleans, that would probably be up there. Um... Yeah, I'm just trying to think that those are the two that stuck out to me. I also just wanted to give a shout-out after a tremendous UFC event, you know. Because it's it's been a heck of a few weeks here 
in sports from the baseball playoffs to UFC to the NFL, which is always, you know, tremendous. It's been a heck of a few weeks, and I hope it keeps up. You know what I mean? Um, either way, the Hater Hall of Fame, I'm hanging Jeff Saturday's jersey right next to Pereira's gloves. Number seven in the standout seven, let's do a quick little injury roundup. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick going to miss a few weeks after he had an appendectomy. Um, Zach Ertz is done for the season for the Arizona Cardinals, which is a huge one. We just talked about them potentially being on the fringes of the playoff hunt. Rough. Cooper Cup, we mentioned ankle injury is going to push him to IR. Reminder, you're out four weeks at least on IR. Uh, Bears running back Khalil Herbert also to IR. Shaq Leonard of the Colts. Kind of the anchor of their defense at linebacker. Going to be done for the season. Chase Young will reportedly be back this week for the Washington Commanders. Dallas Goddard of the Philadelphia Eagles to IR. He's the other one I forgot. He's the other one that fumbled on the play where he was very clearly being dragged down by the face mask. But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, in other news and notes, Nadama Kung Su and Linval Joseph signing to those Eagles. Um, the Buffalo Bills game being moved to Detroit due to a tremendous blizzard in upstate, or rather, I guess, western New York, as they like to call it. Um, J.C. Treader and the NFL Players Association speaking out against turf fields. I think this is a war that's going to be fought in the offseason in a boardroom somewhere. Uh, it's been discussed ad nauseum that the players are very against certain types of fields because they believe it increases the chances of knee injuries. To the point where uh, I believe this didn't have to do with the field, but Denver Bronco Aaron Patrick is suing the NFL and the Broncos over an injury he sustained. I believe also was lower leg injury, which is going to be intriguing. Um, I guess there's an argument to be made if he could prove that the Broncos and therefore the NFL had created a situation or set of circumstances that led to his injury. But if you were to put this in any other workplace, it's it's kind of, you know, I mean, what, you, you'd go on, like, workers' compensation and or, like, disability. In the NFL, is he going to argue, what, a loss of wages, maybe? And that loss of wages led to XYZ? I mean, Aaron Patrick is not, you know star player approaching free agency or anything of that sort. It's it's not like, you know, with the MLBPA where they're discussing maybe collusion or, or this or that involving star players or... I don't know. I mean, I wish him luck in the court of, you know, actual court and in the court of public opinion, but realistically, I'm not sure what he's going to get out of that one. Um, and that'll bring us to the end of the standout seven in this week's episode and take us to the pick'em portion, my favorite part, your favorite part, of episode number 150, and we're going to be talking about week 11 and the Thanksgiving games. But first, I mean, it's worth noting here, put myself on notice a few weeks ago. Had a whole bunch of games, a whole bunch of weeks, excuse me, where we're one under, one over 500. Last two weeks, we are a combined 19-8. and eight. Pretty good, folks. It's pretty darn good. I wouldn't tell you to take these picks to the bank. I personally wouldn't even take these picks to the bank. No money being placed on these, but, you know, got to flex when you can. So let's get into week number 11, and we're going to get started with an intriguing matchup, to be completely honest, as the Chicago Bears head to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. 
Bears going to be without wide receiver Nikhil Harry and DB Dane Crookshank. Questionable offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins and D-lineman Al Quadin Muhammad, as well as DB Kindle Vinder. Falcons going to be without tight end Felipe Franks, who I believe at one point was a quarterback, by the way. Uh, questionable, two in the defensive backfield, A.J. Terrell at corner and Eric Harris at safety. The reason I say this is an intriguing one is because the Bears' offense has kind of ticked up recently. Granted, they lost to Detroit, but that's life. What are you going to do? Um, and the Atlanta Falcons are in a surprisingly winnable division. Granted, I tend to think Tampa Bay is going to figure it out. I'm actually going to take Chicago in this one because I think Chicago's defense is pretty good. And I know that she gave up over 30 to Detroit, but I think Detroit arguably has... I don't know. I, let me phrase this this way. I don't know if they have better weaponry on their offense than the Atlanta Falcons, but they utilize their weapons better. Kyle Pitts is tremendous, but he just doesn't really get utilized. Drake London is pretty good. He gets the ball, right? But you see where I'm going here. Atlanta's a pretty good team. I was on them early in the season, but I'm going to take Chicago to win this one on the road. Next, we have the Frank Reich Bowl. Oh, too soon. The Philadelphia Eagles head to Indy to take on the Jeff Saturday-led Colts. Eagles going to be without corner Josh Job with a hammy. Colts going to be without tight end Jaylani Woods with a shoulder and DN Quiddy Pay with an ankle. Questionable. Offensive lineman Braden Smith with a back, linebacker Zaire Franklin with an illness, and corner Isaiah Rogers Sr. also with an illness. Now, I'll say this. If I were picking this game, and I love using this line, and I know some of you love it, some of you probably hate it, but it's the truth. If I were picking this game three months ago, which, you know, you look through the schedule and you try to scope out win totals for teams, right? I would think this would be an intriguing matchup because Philly has a pretty darn good run game, right? And the Colts, with Jonathan Taylor, also have a pretty darn good run game. But, where we stand now, I'm going to lean towards Philly. I'd say this. If the Colts are able to pull this one off, they're going to be thoroughly in it. And if that happens, I will die laughing. If Jeff Saturday vaults the Colts into playoff contention, and therefore vaults himself into coach of the year consideration. I know it'd be a hard, hard one, right? I, I remember we talked about last week, Joe Thomas talking about, uh, it, it's, it's egregious that he was hired, right? I have Bill Cower here, who I respect a lot, right? Hall of Fame head coach. So I believe he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, if he's not, well, coach, I just put you in the Hall of Fame. Um, said that the hiring was a disgrace to the coaching profession. Bill. I'm not going to go through this. We did it last week. If you want to listen to me rant about this, feel free to go back to episode 149. It's pretty much in the pick'em portion. Page through it a little bit. Uh, I don't have an exact timestamp for you. Sorry about that. But we discussed last week the amount of things that were egregious in the NFL, and this is the one that gets called out. You want to talk about a disgrace to the coaching profession? How about Greg Williams putting bounties on players? Right? How about the offensive coordinator of the Titans getting a DUI the day of, excuse me, the night after into the next day of the Thursday night football game victory his team had on the road? How about that one? How about, uh, you know, how about coaches openly saying they were being offered to take money to tank, which means there were coaches who did take money 
to tank. Because if you heard about it, that means it happened, right? How about the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers just trying to trip a punt returner slash kick returner up the sideline on a primetime game? How about that one, Bill? Look, I like Mike Tomlin as much as the next guy, but you want to talk about a disgrace to the coaching prof- the, <laughs> disgrace to the coaching profession. Like, can we get more hyperbolic, please? Can we can we get a little bit more exaggerative? Come on. It's not enough for me. Let's go over the top here. This guy's not it's not like they hired OJ Simpson, guys. They hired a a Hall of Fame caliber player who played for their team for the bulk of his career, who was there when they won a title. Come on, guys. Like I said, I know the hiring coaches without experience thing has not made its way to the NFL yet, but I promise you it is relatively in vogue in the other sports in America. Aaron Boone is managing the New York Yankees, and he had no coaching experience. Steve Nash was hired to coach a super team. No coaching experience. Steve Kerr was hired to coach a budding super team. Only front office experience. No coaching experience. It's a thing. Jason Kidd. No, like, come on, guys. I, I get it. Football, it's it's more involved in terms of what the the coaches do, or at least it is viewed as more involved in terms of play calling and things like that. But openly, Jeff is not calling the offensive plays. He is leading the coaching staff, which right, we won't go into it again. We won't go into it again. I'm taking the Eagles to win this one on the road. It's just, it's frustrating to have to hear this over and over and over. Our next game is a big AFC East matchup. Probably the biggest one these two teams have had in years. Arguably, though, I mean, they had it a few weeks ago when one team was running away. The Jets head to New England to take on the Patriots. Jets are going to be without wide receiver Corey Davis and D-tackle Sheldon Rankins. Doubtful tight end Kenny Yeboa and questionable lineman Nate Herbig. Patriots going to be without D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee. Doubtful, relatively big one. Punter Jake Bailey with a back. Questionable, wide receiver Devontae Parker with a knee. Linebacker Josh Uche with a hammy. And linebacker Anthony Jennings with a back injury. This is a weird one because the Jets are 6-3, and three, but I, I still for some reason just don't know if this Jets team could really make an actual playoff run, but they've beaten Buffalo. I probably should jump on the bandwagon but we're only a few weeks removed from the Jets being hot and playing the Patriots and finding a way to lose. So give me the Patriots to find a way to win this one at home. Next, the Washington Commanders head to Houston to take on the Texans. Uh, We'll go through the injury report, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm taking the Commanders in this one 110% of the time. Uh, Commanders going to be without J.D. McKissick. Tight end Armani Rodgers and linebacker Cole Holcomb. Questionable running back Jonathan Williams with a knee injury. Linebacker David Mayo with a hammy. And corner Christian Holmes also with a hammy. For the Texans, they're going to be without linebacker Neville Hewitt with a hamstring as well. Uh, And corner rookie sensation. Well, maybe not sensation, but rookie first-round draft pick Derek Stingley Jr. with a hammy. Questionable D-lineman Rasheem Green. Yeah, I mean... It would be very on brand for the Commanders to find a way to lose to Davis Mills on the road here, but I'm going to be honest with you, even I can't pick that one. Give me the Commanders on the road. Next, the bruised LA Rams are heading to New Orleans to take on the bruised and beaten up New Orleans Saints. 
Uh, Rams coming in at three and six. Saints at three and seven. Rams going to be without their center Brian Allen with a thumb injury, as well as linebacker Traven Howard with a hip. Questionable. Quarterback John Walford with a neck, as well as D tackle Ashawn Robinson. Unclear if Stafford's going to go in this one. Um, the Saints are going to be without running back Mark Ingram, offensive lineman James Hurst, DNs Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport, as well as linebacker Pete Werner, corner Marshawn Lattimore, and safety JT Gray. Questionable offensive lineman Andrus Pete with a tricep injury. I believe, having read the latest, that Matthew Stafford is going to go in this game. At first, I was going to take the Saints. I'm going to be completely honest with you, but just based solely on, I mean, it's McVay and Stafford. Is Jameis Winston going to be back out there? Finally, there was reports before that it wasn't the injuries that were holding him back. Um, Jameis said outright, he said, not playing, quote, hurts my soul. I don't know why they're holding him on the bench. Are they, I mean, is it a tanking thing? I'm, I'm not really certain, but... uh. Yeah, you know what? Give me the Rams to win this one on the road, even though... I'm going to be honest, I can't make heads or tails with this one. Next, the Cleveland Browns are taking on the Buffalo Bills, not from snowy Orchard Park, New York, but from Ford Field in Detroit. Uh, the Browns can be without offensive lineman Michael Dunn, defensive lineman Perrion Winfrey, uh, corner Greg Newsom, and safety DeAnthony Bell. Questionable, tight end David Njoku with an ankle. Bills going to be without wide receiver Jake Kumaro, D lineman Greg Rousseau, and linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. Questionable, their fullback Reggie Gillum with an illness, corner Kair Elam with an ankle, and safety Jordan Poyer with an elbow injury. I'm going to take the Bills in this one, but as weird as it sounds, I kind of think this is not an awful matchup for the Browns. The Browns' defense is pretty darn good, and their running game is solid, so if they could play a tremendous amount of defense and really just get some ball control going, this could be a win, but it's hard to keep this Buffalo offense from dropping, you know, 24, 28, 30, and on and on and on. Minnesota found a way to stay in the game. Let's see if Cleveland can do the same, but I'm going to take Buffalo on the road. Next, the Carolina Panthers head to Baltimore to take on the Ravens in an age-old classic, the Battle of the Cat and the Bird. Um, Panthers going to be without their now-starting quarterback, P.J. Walker, D-tackle Matt Ioannidis, and free safety Justin Burris. Doubtful. Their other free safety, Miles Hardfield with an ankle, questionable tight end Giovanni Ricci with a neck, and corner J.C. Horn with a foot. For the Ravens, corner Jalen Armour Davis is doubtful with a hip. And questionable, Lamar Jackson with an illness, though I believe I've read that he's going to go. Again, this is just par for the course. We're doing the show Friday night into Saturday. We have no idea, but we're going to try and pick it anyway. Uh, hopefully for those of you playing fantasy football or you know even going out there and playing on FanDuel or DraftKings, Definitely get an updated injury report because we're a little bit in the past. Um, also questionable running back Gus Edwards with a hammy slash knee and tight end Mark Andrews with a knee slash shoulder. I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. Um, Baker's going to be back out there. It's going to be intriguing to see what happens there. But nevertheless, the Ravens are just the better team in almost all facets. Uh Almost feel bad for Baker that he's got to make his return against the Baltimore Ravens, considering how many times in Cleveland he had to face the Baltimore Ravens. But give me Baltimore to hold serve and win at home. Our final 1 o'clock kick, the Detroit Lions head to New Jersey to take on the Giants. 
Lions going to be without two D linemen, Charles Harris and Josh Pascal. Questionable wide receiver Josh Reynolds with a back injury, center Frank Ragnow with a foot, linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez with an elbow, and safety Deshaun Elliott with a concussion. For the Giants, they're going to be without tight end Daniel Bellinger, still rehabbing from that pretty significant poke in the eye. Uh, doubtful, their first-round pick, offensive lineman Evan Neal with a knee injury. Questionable in a quote-unquote revenge game, wide receiver Kenny Galladay with a hammy, wide receiver Wandale Robinson with a hammy as well, offensive lineman Josh Izudu with a neck, D-lineman Dexter Lawrence with a back, and DB Dane Belton with a clavicle. The Lions are a hard team to get a read on. Um, considering the Giants are very strongly centered around Saquon Barkley and just running the ball, there's an argument to be made the Lions offense, which at times this year is pretty potent, could find a way to win this game. But uh, to be quite honest, I'm not taking that bet. So give me the Giants to win this one at home. Next, our lone 405 kick is an AFC West showdown between, well, the division's underperforming teams. The Vegas Raiders head to Denver to take on Russell Wilson and the Broncos. The Raiders listing a handful of players on their injury report. Questionable, the man who's running their offense, wide receiver Devontae Adams with an abdomen injury, uh, offensive lineman Colton Miller with a shoulder and abdomen as well, as w- and linebackers Denzel Perriman and Luke Masterson, both with rib injuries. The Broncos, not looking so healthy either. They're going to be without wide receiver K.J. Hamler, wide receiver Jerry Judy, tight end Andrew Beck, linebacker Jonas Griffith, and corner K. Juan Williams. Another wide receiver, Kendall Hinton, listed as questionable with a shoulder, as well as three offensive linemen in Tom Compton, Cameron Fleming, and Graham Glasgow, with a back, quad, and shoulder injury respectively, and linebacker Baron Browning. Um, this Broncos team is not very good, and the injuries at the wide receiver position make me think that they're not going to be able to put up very many points, but let's be completely honest, they haven't been putting up very many points anyway. I'm going to take the Raiders... But if the Raiders go to 2-8, and eight, I know that Josh McDaniels was given the vote of confidence by Mark Davis, the owner. 2-8 and eight with the, the acquisition of Devontae Adams and the roster they have should push towards unacceptable, I would assume. I guess we'll find out. Um, give me the Raiders, because somebody's got to win to bring this one home on the road. Next, we've got, I guess this would be the Tony Dorsett Bowl, right? A little before my time, but I think I'm on the money there. The Dallas Cowboys head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Cowboys, questionable running back Zeke Elliott, who I believe said he's confident he will play in this game with a brace on his knee. Uh, Also questionable, D-lineman Demarcus Lawrence with a foot injury. D-tackle Quinton Bohana with an illness. Linebacker Anthony Barr, former Viking, with a hammy. Corner Anthony Brown with a concussion. And punter Brian Anger. The Vikings going to be without former New York Giant, D-lineman Dalvin Tomlinson, and corner Caleb Evans. Questionable, linebacker Zadarius Smith with a knee injury. Um, I'm going to take Minnesota. i be completely honest with you. I think this probably should be the game of the week. I was going to say Chiefs Chargers could compete with it, but with the way the Chargers have been, I wouldn't shock me if they lose by 10 at home. So give me the Vikings to really... I mean, I think beating Buffalo puts the NFL on notice. Beating the Cowboys, I don't even know how you can top beating Buffalo. Just give me the Vikings. 
to ride that wave. Now, admittedly, Kirk Cousins has uh, lost his fair share of games to NFC East teams, and uh, especially big games, but you know, let's just tell him that it's 1 o'clock. You know, it's 1 o'clock somewhere, right? Uh, give me the Vikings is the bottom line. Next, an AFC North matchup to cap our late afternoon slate as the Cincinnati Bengals head to not Heinz Field to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bengals going to be without Jamar Chase, as we all know. Uh, also going to be without D-lineman Josh Tupu and safety Daxton Hill. Questionable running back Chris Evans with a knee and corner Trey Flowers with a hammy. Steelers going to be without corner Akilo Witherspoon with a hammy. I'm taking the Bengals to win this one. Um... I still think even with the injury to Chase, the Bengals have too much firepower for Pittsburgh, so let me take them to bring this one home on the road. Next, the aforementioned AFC West showdown in Sunday night football. The Chiefs head to L.A. to take on the Chargers. Chiefs going to be without wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster and corner Chris Lammons. Chargers listing Dustin Hopkins, their kicker, as doubtful, and listing both their star wideouts, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, as questionable. Both didn't go last week. Be intriguing to see if they go this week. This is a big game for the Chargers. They dropped a 5-5, five and five, especially considering the crowded AFC East where everyone's hunting for playoff spots. It's going to be a weird one. They need to get this win so they can jump out at 6-4, and four, right? The AFC East teams are going to have to beat up on each other. You want to be at the front end of that, not at the back, hoping it happens. Alas, I'm going to take the Chiefs to win this one on the road. Then we have Monday Night Football live from Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. The San Francisco 49ers take on the hosting Arizona Cardinals. I I guess I believe they're hosting. Not really certain who the home team is in this one, but either way, Uh, I'm taking the Niners. I'm not sure about Kyler's health. They said he was day-to-day last week, and he still didn't go. We'll see. I think Kyler Murray's scrambling ability can really keep them in some of these games, and DeAndre Hopkins has been playing great. Rondale Moore looks pretty good. James Conner looks pretty good. Noertz is a big one. Mm, It wouldn't be impossible for them to win this one, but I'm going to take San Francisco because I think they're setting up for a playoff push here to win this one in Mexico. Then we have our three Thursday night football games. So, well, I guess three Thursday games, I should say, on Thanksgiving. The Buffalo Bills will play at 12.30 in Detroit again, this time against the Detroit Lions. Um, I'm taking the Buffalo Bills to win this one. It really shouldn't be much of a conversation. The New York Giants head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys for the 4.30 game. This one is much more interesting The Cowboys give the Giants fits and have for years, particularly Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys, due in part because they're at home, and also because I have them losing to Minnesota, so they may be in panic mode. This would be a big win for them, and I have them bringing it home at home. Granted, if they lose to the Vikings and then to the Giants, it will be full panic mode for for Cowboy fans, and uh, that will be pretty intriguing. It's Usually it happens after a, an early playoff exit, but every once in a while you get them to miss the postseason on some weird stuff like this. Either way, mood point, I got Dallas winning on Thanksgiving. The 8-20 game is an intriguing one as the New England Patriots head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Um, kind of tells me that the schedule's 
schedulers didn't expect the Vikings to be this good because they're playing short rest on Thanksgiving, you know? I mean, Buffalo's doing it as well, but Buffalo's playing Detroit. It should be, for them, a cakewalk. I'm going to take Minnesota. You know, I'm going to keep them riding high here. I'm taking Minnesota. Now, it would be very Minnesota to win those games and then get upset by the Patriots, but I don't think there's enough talent on that Patriots team to keep up with the Vikings offense. And with Mac Jones under center... I'm not certain the production's going to be there. Give me Minnesota to win that one at home and cap off everyone's Thanksgiving day. That'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness Podcast and the end of this week's episode. Episode number 150 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. As usual, if it's your first episode or your 150th, Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you. Tune in next weekend for the following episode. Um, but before we sign off here, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate, you know, the opportunity from um, Last Word on Sports to let me have hosted this show for even one episode, let alone 150 episodes. It's unbelievable to me looking back. that I believe we're in our sixth season, which is crazy. Um considering all the stuff that has happened in the last handful of years, considering all the stuff that's happened for me in the last handful of years. Um, I truly appreciate it, and I appreciate each and every one of you out there, like I said, and I mean it genuinely. If it's your first episode, if it's your 150th, just tuning in, just hanging around, listening to me chat about football, maybe making you think about things a little differently. Maybe you're yelling at the screen saying I'm getting names wrong or, or uh, you know, I'm wrong about this, that, and the third. Either way, I appreciate it. You know, this is never going to be, at least I never went into it thinking it's going to be some long-running six-season show, but here we are, and who knows, maybe it'll be six more. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be the Joe Rogan of football content. It's not going to be, you know, Chael Sonnen pumping out UFC content the day, the next day for, you know, tens of thousands of people or whatever. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was just to provide content and hope that people enjoy it and, uh, Everybody loves talking football, watching football, and hopefully you guys stick around for next week and we'll do it a little bit more. So, thanks everybody. And uh, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, for the 150th time, signing off. <laughs>